Lucas on Life. Hello, welcome to Lucas on Life. I'm Jeff Lucas. Strange subject we're considering this weekend, being a Pharisee. Following the rules is something that we're all being told to do in these strange times. They're called unprecedented, aren't they? And there's been an unprecedented use of the word unprecedented. Hugging the wrong person is illegal. I mean, I suppose it always is, really. But we're wearing masks, we're coating ourselves head to foot in sanitising gel, we're keeping our distance and find ourselves marooned in our one- or two-metre island. We're being told to follow the rules. Let's face it, we all live by rules all of the time. There are principles that we adhere to that are not legally enforced, but they're useful and expected. We bathe or shower daily, at least Many of us do, and perhaps all of us should, although maybe some listeners will remember a time when we used to bathe once a week, whether we needed it or not. We clean our teeth morning and evening. We acknowledge when that driver pauses to let us out into a busy road. Sometimes the rules, the social principles of life, change. Like, should a gentleman open a door for a lady? Am I giving up my seat on the train? Will I be thanked for doing that? Or will I receive a rebuke, a glare, being consigned to being a misogynistic dinosaur? Just lately, there's been lots of discussion about the rules. Should I wear a mask? Should I not? In the USA, it's become a freedom issue. In Northern Ireland, a leading politician recently wore an ice cream without a mask, making it very clear that, first of all, you can't eat an ice cream with a mask, but making a political point. I'm not quite sure about the politics of questioning some of these rules. Surely wearing a mask is not a freedom issue. It's not denial of my freedom if I wear a safety belt, drive to the speed limit, make sure that I don't drive under the influence. There are rules, there are limitations on our behaviour for our safety and for the safety of others. But sometimes rule-keeping can replace living faith. And that's where the Pharisees come in. People who kept the rules. As I've said, lots of rules dictating our lives at the moment. But those Pharisees, they just took it a little too far. They were, the Pharisees, to coin a phrase, very spiritual. Always first in line when it came to praying and renowned for their street ministries, they embodied a zealous godliness that certainly turned heads. Rumour had it that they prayed for three hours daily. It was a rule. Their faith was steel-like and solid. They had no truck with woolly liberal theology, but had a firm grip on the doctrines of resurrection and judgment and of angels and demons, and they could accurately quote scripture with smooth ease. They were fiery, roaring revivalists. Not for them the more cold cynicism that expects little or nothing from heaven, they were on tiptoe, expecting God to move at any time, and they called sinners to repent and make ready for his coming. Members of a holiness movement, their hope fueled them in their almost pernickety obsession with personal purity. Despising foggy compromise, they thundered that God was either Lord of all or not Lord at all. Every detail of life must come under his control. They made lots of rules. Impressed? They were the Pharisees. Today, those of us who are preachers tend to set the Pharisees up as easy targets, as punch bags handy for a quick Sunday morning jab. 
Like the wicked witches in the pantomime that we love to hiss and boo at, the Pharisees have genuinely been painted in an entirely negative light, like holy religious crones. But their faults were not always so obvious, and they were uncomfortably like us, like modern evangelical Christians. A lay movement formed around 200 years before Christ, the Pharisees had embraced an approach to spirituality that was hallmarked by passion and dedication. They would even gather together for conventions for mutual encouragement. Their closest allies were the scribes or the teachers of the law, as Matthew tags them in his gospel. They were that strange mixture of commitment mingled with dullness that can still be evidenced by spiritual people today, generally thought of as dry, uninspiring preachers who knew a lot but lacked spiritual authority. They were also great students of scripture, and their pursuit of law trivia enabled the scribes to announce that there were 613 commandments in the first five books of the Old Testament, 248 positive and 365 negative. This microscopic approach to scripture demanded infinite precision and commitment to detail, which meant that they often lost sight of the plot, fighting over detail and missing the big picture by miles. Surely there would have been Pharisees and scribes standing in the crowd that epic day when Jesus delivered his Sermon on the Mount. Mental notebooks open, sharpened pencils poised. They would have listened carefully to his every word. They would have listened as a self-appointed jury for the prosecution. Brows furrowed in stern concentration. They would have evaluated and analysed every statement, testing its soundness and ready to pounce at the slightest hint of what they perceived as error. Any ordinary common people in that day would have given them a wide berth. The scribes and the Pharisees had an intimidating white hog religion that seemed to scald those lower down the religious food chain. The scribes and the Pharisees herded people smeared with failure and shame into a corral labelled sinners. Theirs was a religiosity long on law, long on rules, but short on compassion. But surely they were to be commended for their zeal. Apparently not. When Jesus gave his great sermon, it was not the sinners who came under fire from his words. On the contrary, Jesus seemed to roll out a kingdom red carpet for those who felt keenly their lack of God, the so-called poor in spirit. Stunningly, it was the fool, not the hungry. Those who appeared to own the established franchise on religion, the scribes and Pharisees, who Jesus had in his sights for a judgment salvo. Far from holding them up as exemplary models of commitment and devotion, he slammed them with the repeated exocet phrase, don't be like them. Their highest act of devotion in prayer, fasting and almsgiving, they were all rejected by Jesus as useless. Elsewhere, he carefully warned his friends and would-be apprentices about allowing the leaven of the Pharisees to creep into their own spirituality. We can read about it in Matthew 16. And no one can read the almost nuclear vocabulary of Matthew 23, where the Pharisees are tagged as vipers and whitened tombs full of dead men's bones without trembling. We're talking about Pharisees. Jesus says, don't be like them. We're talking about avoiding Phariseeism. When Jesus formed his team, not one of those Pharisaic experts in prayer or scripture were invited to join. Apparently, he preferred the unspoiled pliability of rough, ordinary working men and even the red-faced gratitude of former extortionists to the practiced piety of the religious. The Pharisees were blinded by their own religion, rejecting the remarkable supernatural ministry of Jesus, writing it off as sourced by dark power. 
Even the appearance of a still stinking Lazarus raised to life now didn't shake them. Their principles had become more valued than God's purposes. Jesus indicted them with the charge that their traditions had become more important than the commandments of God. I've observed that this leaven of religiosity is the primary temptation for those who would be among Jesus' most committed followers. Like a devastating computer virus that mugs your hard drive and then tries to automatically infect everyone on your email address list, so religion crouches in the wings whenever commitment or zealousness is in the air. It corrupts. It spoils. It should be avoided at all costs because religious Christianity is worse than useless. It deters those who are genuinely looking for God, repelled as they surely would be by a church preoccupied with stern, privatised piety and empty irrelevance. This is a faith useless to the world and impotent before God. But it does take great grace to be a Christian without becoming a Pharisee. Let's face it, we all have some of it in us. If you want to know if you have some of that leaven of the Pharisees and you're a follower of Jesus, there's a simple test. Just take your pulse. If you're alive, it's more than likely that you will have at least some of the virus pumping through your spiritual veins. Ask God to give you a health check today and put in a request for real, living, humble faith and not the sham imitation that's so readily available. Also, the Pharisees were experts at what my friend Gerard Kelly calls pray and display. They dressed up to make a religious fashion statement adorned with teflon, small leather boxes containing portions of scripture, which screamed, don't you know, I love scripture. And they wore tassels, the four tassels from the prayer shawl, which likewise made a statement, back off everyone, here comes an intercessor. Of course, these things were not intended for that purpose, but tragically it developed that way. It was impressive. And it was hollow, and Jesus dismissed this posturing as the work of hypocrites. Matthew uses that word no less than 13 times. Palestine had some fine theatres. One was located in the city of Sepphoris, within a few miles of Jesus' home of Nazareth. Perhaps Jesus, as a boy, saw the hypocrites. They were the actors who worked there, prancing about the stage in their masks, and sometimes giving running commentaries on the play. Other hypocrites were employed to professionally turn on the waterworks, as it were, at funerals. They would weep and wail for the unknown departed and tear their clothes along the seams so that they could quickly stitch them up again for the next funeral performance. The word hypocrite gradually crept into common usage to describe anyone who was a pretender. Gordon MacDonald has described pretending as the common cold of the evangelical church. Religion that relies on us having weekly close encounters of an evangelical kind, working hard at the sweaty business of unreality, can reek of religion. Do you want real, true religion? Then let's get real, at least with somebody. Jesus drew an almost Pythonesque sketch when he described the Pharisees as giving while blowing trumpets to announce the fact that kind of spiritual posturing was roundly condemned in the great sermon. Jesus was not rejecting the validity of public and communal expressions of spirituality. Some have rejected the idea of corporate prayer gatherings or a call to collective fasting because of a misunderstanding of this teaching. But public platforms and prayer meetings are particularly toxic zones for the bacteria of Pharisaism. All of us should negotiate them with care. Mere religion is a corruption of true faith and is part of a satanic biochemical campaign. Let's be humble about our own traditions and respectful of others. Let's avoid masks, not the COVID ones, the pretending ones. 
Let's avoid performances and take notice when we're being noticed. Let's be careful and awake for God's sake. The Ministry of Silly Walks was one of the all-time Monty Python classics. The sketch gave us the unforgettable vision of a gangly John Cleese, splendid with bowler hat and brolly, prancing and high-kicking his way along the high street. The genius was in the bizarre absurdity of it all. In other famous Python sketches, there's a football match that featured the London gynaecologists. A very dead parrot was returned to a pet shop whose owner insisted that the rigid bird was just sleeping. And the Spanish Inquisition that no one expected was led by the hapless Cardinal Fang. The images are memorable because they're ridiculous in the extreme. Consider the Sermon on the Mount. Was the genius of Python actually a borrowed gift? There we are treated to images of religious philanthropists who have a team of trumpeters on call, eager to sound the reveille whenever a coin is dropped in the offering. There are other more ascetic types who make themselves down rather than making themselves up, colouring themselves ugly just to let everyone know that it's fasting time again, and droning street-corner prayer warriors who blether on at length while all of the time God isn't listening anyway. These too are visual exaggerations, borrowed from the strange but true real-life practices of the Pharisees. They are caricatures sketched to grab our attention and expose a form of religiosity that we need to avoid like the plague. So let's ask for a holy inoculation, a holy vaccination, and beware the virus of the Pharisees. They show us how not to live the life of faith. Yes, we do need to obey those rules, changing as they are about COVID-19. We do that not just for our own sake, but for the sake of others. But let's never allow Christianity to descend into just rule-keeping, especially when the rules are not biblical, but come from traditions. There are principles, commands that we need to follow, but Phariseeism now that's a virus we all need to avoid. See you next time. Lucas on Life.